The reading is taken from Luke, chapter 1, verses 57 to 80. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbours were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us, in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Aya. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Um, uh, Jonathan was saying about the um, Luke's Gospels. I've discovered that I'm someone who makes far too many notes, so I might need a second one <laughs> or another coloured pen. I think that's a thing. It's really helpful, though. I found it really helpful so far. And uh, when I forgot to bring my um, Gospel with me, I then went home and took notes straight away to try and remember. So really good thing to be doing. Let's pray before we go any further. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. 
Thank you for the way that we can spend time in it and with it now. And I pray that you would help us to hear your voice as we look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So as uh, Jonathan said, we're looking through uh, the Gospel of Luke and we're uh, taking it quite slowly. We're doing it over a year and a half um, and some sermons will be in the morning. There'll be a few in the evening as well. Um, and it's a great opportunity to really get into a gospel, to uh, go through those difficult passages as well, and uh, just to think about what God might be saying to us. I love it that when we look at a whole book like this, because it gives you a sort of context of what's going on, and it helps you to see what's going on before, what's going on afterwards, to see a, a bigger picture as well as sort of honing in on a, a few verses at a time as well. And actually, I, I, I shared this with Jonathan last week, and he said I should share it this morning, that last week when we were thinking about um, the call of Mary as uh, she met with the angel, I realized as we were uh, thinking about that last week that it's very much part of my call to ordination. Um, I was on a trip to the Holy Land, and um, I was going around, I was with a bunch of people who were training for ordination, and I was very proudly saying, I'm not an ordinand, I'm not training for ordination. And then I was standing outside the Church of the Annunciation, the church that celebrates where um, the angel spoke to Mary, and a couple of people who I didn't know came up to me. Um, before that happened, a lot of people were saying to me, Eleanor, you should think about getting ordained. We've seen you preach and lead and all of these things. But as a vicar's daughter, I knew that there's a lot more to it than just the upfront stuff. And these two ladies came up to me who were from a very different tradition. They didn't know me. And they said to me, Eleanor, we should, we've been praying for you, and we think you should think about ordination. And it's only very recently that I've looked back and realized where I was standing when that happened, that I was standing outside the Church of the Annunciation, the place where God calls Mary and uh, through the angel. And I find that really comforting, actually that it's almost like a confirmation of what God was saying uh, to me. I wonder what God uh, will say to us this morning as we look through these verses. Well, first of all, it's important actually that we have a bit of a recap as to what has happened so far. We have this, uh, this priest, Zechariah. He's a, a respected priest. And he and his wife, Elizabeth, we're told that they're old. Um, the angel Gabriel spoke to him, and he tells him that his wife Elizabeth um, will have a child, and they haven't been able to have children up to this point. He's told that they will call him John, and that he would be a great delight, a great joy to them. So in verse 14, it says these words, he will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. We see that later on, don't we? We see the rejoicing and the joy in this passage. But then we have Zechariah, and he says, well, how can I be sure of this? I'm old. I'm an old man, and my wife is well, on, well along in years. It's a great phrase, that, isn't it? Well along in years. And of course, what that is, is Zechariah asking for a sign. He's, he's asking for something to confirm what God has asked him to do through the angel. But it's interesting what the angel does, because he says to Zechariah, I'm standing in God's presence. It's really interesting that he says that. And then he says these words, 
and now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. So what we find out is that Zechariah is made mute for a long time. He's made mute for nine months. Nine months. Just think about that for a moment. Why is he made mute? Well, this verse tells us, doesn't it? It says that the angel says it's because Zechariah doesn't believe, he doesn't trust what the angel tells him. Contrast that to Mary, who does She goes with it. Last week, uh, we thought about Mary, and we thought about what Mary said in response in her song, The Magnificat. But Zechariah needs something more. He needs a sign of some sort. Well then, (laughs) maybe it's a sign in some ways. Just as the angel says, he's mute. He's got no time to verbally process what has happened. I don't know how I would cope with that, if I'm honest. Um, No time to verbally pass anything on to Elizabeth. He has to try and communicate with signing. And actually, as an aside, signing is great. I love learning a few words of British sign language. It really helps with my worship. So for example, did you know that that is Jesus? Something about the nails for Jesus. So sometimes when I'm singing, and I'll use that to remind me, and there's something tactile about that that just helps us. In fact, um, where I was associate vicar before here in Kettering, we had a messy church for additional needs. And we did it um, every month. And um, I had the privilege one day of baptizing a child who was deaf. She had an uh, an implant, so I had to make sure we removed that before I got her wet. (coughs) Um, uh, But her whole family were deaf. Um, Her mother lip-read, and her father was profoundly deaf and um, did not read English. That wasn't his language. BSL is his language. And he didn't, um, write, he didn't um, lip read either. So the way he communicated was through sign language. And so I learned a couple of signs for the baptism service. I believe and trust in him. And I had everyone signing that in the service. We had someone uh, interpreting through BSL through the whole service. And the most beautiful moment for me was hearing that someone had seen him go outside, this man who'd never really experienced and heard who God was, going outside and signing, thank you, God. He had heard the good news of Jesus for the very first time because someone spoke to him in his language. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that beautiful? Just a reminder of the power of sign language there. Um, just a, a challenge maybe for us to learn it. And I know uh, someone said to me the other week that it's sometimes hard to um, hear in the kitchen when people are coming for refreshments. If you want to say thank you, thank you. That's easy, isn't it? Thank you. Let's use that um, over this uh, Sunday. That's not what I want to talk about, but I just felt like I wanted to share that uh, this morning. Anyway, I want to think particularly this morning about silence Because let's face it, Zechariah is silent. He can't speak for nine months. I wonder how that felt. I personally cannot go silent for a few minutes. Those of you who know me know that's probably quite true. So when I had my silent retreat for ordination, it was just a bit of a challenge, especially when we were eating in silence. I found myself feeling really uncomfortable, sort of wanting to make jokes 
and things like that because I just found it very difficult. I wanted to fill the silence. I don't know whether that's something that you find as well. Some of us are like, no, it's fine. I'm happy being silent. Others of us are feeling uncomfortable just thinking about it. But isn't it a temptation for, for many of us to fill the silence with outside stuff? With our own voices waffling on. That's my case anyway. I wonder, what are you tempted to fill the silence with? Is it TV? Is it social media? Is it a particular addiction? Those things that we use as a way of coping with the silence. I wonder what it is for you. But the fact is that if we have ever spent time in silence for an extended period of time, we know that it can be really very powerful. It is, after all, one of the spiritual disciplines. And maybe that's a challenge for us. I wonder how might we find ways to be silent. I don't mean for nine months necessarily, um, enforced on us by an angel, <laughs> but even for 10 minutes, for half an hour, for a day, for longer. Because we know from Scripture, from 1 Kings 19, that God speaks in a still, small voice. Zechariah here is given the gift of time to grow in his ability to listen, in his ability to listen to God and actually to others as well. In some ways, it's forced upon Zechariah, isn't it? But it's a reminder to us how important it is to listen, to listen to God, to listen to others. There's a power in silence. When I was uh, doing a leadership course, um, we had to meet with um, a, a psychiatrist um, and uh, they helped us think about some of our gifts and the things we've found difficult. And I discovered through this that I'm a quick thinker. I'd never thought of myself in that way. But what that meant was that I always wanted to give my suggestions and my ideas butt into somebody else's comments because my brain thought quickly. And what I realized was that was really unhelpful for somebody else. I wonder whether there's a few of us thinking that this morning, yeah, I do that, I know I do that. And so I've really had to try and teach myself to listen and to not do that. I don't always get it right, but I try. How might we listen to others? But how might we also listen to God? Silence is powerful. And of course, for Zechariah, the outcome of these nine months of silence comes later on in the passage, and we'll think about that in a moment. But let's actually get to the passage we're meant to be looking at this morning, shall we? Um, and turn to the first part of our reading today, when uh, we pick up the story nine months later after Luke tells us about Mary. And of course, the reason there's a gap between what happens first with Zechariah and then this bit is because um, of these nine months in some ways um, that he has uh, been silent. So Luke tells us about Mary in the middle of it. So we pick up the story nine months later. So we pick up the story at the point when uh, they're about to circumcise this baby and to name him. Of course, when it says they, we're talking here about the priests, those who would have been there for the circumcision. And they presume that this baby is going to be called Zechariah after his father. 
That was the usual thing to do. But then suddenly, Elizabeth intervenes. Now, I doubt that would have been a regular occurrence for the mother to suddenly speak up in that way. <clears throat> and Elizabeth gives this name that's not in the family, John. That is out of the ordinary. And of course, there's a family reaction to that, isn't there? In verse 61, they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. It's like, what are you doing, Elizabeth? We've probably all been there, haven't we, when we've heard someone call their child a name that <clears throat> we're not quite so sure about. Maybe we've been a bit shocked by it. Maybe we've been a bit confused by their choice. That rhymes with a surname. Why are you doing that? Whatever it might be. There are, as we know, some strange names out there. Some of them not names, some of them numbers. Look at Elon Musk's child. It's some number thing, isn't it? But of course, this isn't a strange name that Mary, that Elizabeth chooses or says. This is just unexpected. And so what they do is they sign to Zechariah. They're probably very used to this by now. And he um, asks uh, for a writing tablet. Bear in mind, it's not an iPad at this point. Now, when I read tablet, my mind went, wow, it was really advanced at this point. Obviously, that's not uh, what happens. And I would imagine they would have expected, they would have been expecting Zechariah to react, to shake his head. No, that's not going to be his name. But he doesn't. And he writes on this tablet the name of John. His name is John. That must have been quite a shock, actually, to those who were listening. But what we read in Scripture here is that after that happens, immediately, Zechariah can speak. Now, one thing puzzled me about this passage. How did Elizabeth know the name um, if Zechariah couldn't speak? That was what I was thinking about this week. But then I thought, actually, of course, they had nine months for him to find a way to communicate that. They had writing tablets. They had signs. So it's likely that... Um, Zechariah would have signed it or written it to Elizabeth. Or maybe he did keep it to himself and pondered on it, and this was the sign he needed. <clears throat> Excuse me. We know that the Holy Spirit was at work, even in John, before he was born. I'm just going to get some water. <clears throat> Excuse me a moment. Thank you. We, where was I? Yeah, maybe he kept it to himself. But of course we know that the Holy Spirit was at work, don't we? Even in John before he was born. Look at verse 41. <clears throat> Next verse, that's it. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then think back to the promise about John in verse 15. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Even before he is born. So whatever the reason, this is the sign which immediately ends Zechariah's silence. And so what begins as, a, as what appears to be a punishment for lack of faith and asking for a sign becomes a sign 
a sign that God is doing something amazing. But think back to that promise of the angel. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. So this is the appointed time. Immediately, his voice returns. Now, it's important to recognize that word immediately. Because if, when we look through the rest of Luke's gospel, we'll see it on occasions. And in Luke's gospel, the word immediately is a sign of God's power. So, for example, in Luke 5.25, in the story of the healing of the paralyzed man, um, we find this. Jesus said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And the next verse. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he'd been lying on, and went home praising God. There's power in that immediately, isn't there? Reminds us of the power of Jesus' voice, the power of Jesus' name, the power of God at work. This is a wonderful reminder of the truth that God keeps his promises as well, isn't it? Jonathan thought about that last Sunday evening as we were thinking about Mary. And he keeps his promises that all of this would bring Zechariah great joy. I love the fact, actually, in this passage that there's this image that as soon as Zechariah is able to speak, what does he do? He praises God. That's good news, isn't it? And I have to admit, I wonder, I want to know what that sounded like after nine months of being silent. What had sort of built up in Zechariah that he just wanted to get out and praise God with? You know, just think what it was like for us to not be able to worship in song together during the pandemic and how amazing that felt. Yeah, we could do it at home and on our own. We could speak out things. But for Zechariah, he'd had nine months of complete silence. I'd love to have heard what he said. The joy, the worship, the praise that came from him. And it must have been quite remarkable, really, because what we see is the response of the neighbors. They respond in awe and wonder. It says that everyone is talking about it. I love how the message puts it in verses 65 and 66. A deep reverential fear settled over the neighborhood. And in all that Judean hill country, people talked about nothing else. Everyone who heard about it took it to heart, wondering, what will become of this child? Remember the context. This is at a time when little had happened for quite a long time. The people had been waiting and waiting and waiting. Was God acting now? Well, of course, we know that he was. Back to Zechariah. Like his wife was filled with the Holy Spirit, Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit at this point as well. And he begins to prophesy in the words that we read in the second half of our reading today. This is actually the second song in this chapter. Uh, the first one, uh, Mary, um, who brings hers straight after meeting the angel. For Zechariah, it's a little bit of a longer time, isn't it? It's nine months after. But it's so beautiful, and it's full of meaning and beauty. 
I wonder how many of these words had been formed in Zechariah over those time of silence, all of those months that had been quiet, as he pondered the words of the angel, as he listened to his wife's experiences with Mary, for example, as he went to the temple and just had to listen to scripture. So for the last part of what I want to say today is I want to look at what these words of Zechariah say to us as he answers that question of the neighbours, what will this child become? When I was at Theological College, um, we had morning prayer every day. And um, as part of morning prayer, um, the Church of England morning prayer, we would say the words of the Benedictus, which is these words, these words of Zechariah. And we said them every single day, every single day for those two years. And many people will say them every morning um, as part of uh, their morning prayer. But it's interesting because I don't think I really looked at what they meant. I said them, but I'm not quite sure whether I really took in just how much they say. Because they're amazing, these words. These words are a song of the Spirit. These words are about God acting at last, doing those things that he has promised. And of course, these words aren't just about John. There's so much more in these words. What we see in these words of Zechariah is two parts, really. Uh, We have a bigger picture and then a zoom in. We see looking back and we see looking forward. And so in the first half of this, we see the bigger picture in verses 68 to 75. We know that God had promised something through the prophets. Um, We'll read some of those in our carol services. But in the last few centuries before this event, not that much had happened. And it must have been tempting to give up. It must have been tempting to stop the waiting. But scripture made it very clear And God here showed that he had kept his promise. And so we see in the first half of this Benedictus, these words of Zechariah, is salvation history. We see words rooted in the bigger picture. And actually, that's a really good reminder, isn't it? A good reminder of the reason it's good to know the Old Testament. Throughout the first half of Zechariah's words, we see Old Testament scripture and imagery. Always good to read scripture through the lens, through, through, read a passage through the lens of the whole of scripture. And here Luke is reminding us that God never forgets the bigger picture. We can zoom in on an event, can't we, even in our own lives, but God always has that bigger picture in mind. So it's important for us to read these words in the context of the whole of scripture. And maybe this coming year is an opportunity, as we read through the Gospel of Luke, to read it in the context of the whole of the Bible. Maybe uh, think for this coming year about reading the Bible through the whole thing. And then we can hone in on Luke on a Sunday. So in Zechariah's words, we hear that God has come to his people, that he has kept his promises. We read in verses 69 and 70 that he has done what he had said he would do in the prophets, that he has raised up a horn of salvation, which simply means a strong king, one from the line of David. And of course, we know that 
is exactly who Jesus was. We read that God has remembered his holy covenant, the promises of God. He has held on to them. He's remembered the promises that he has made. And in this passage, Zechariah refers to the covenant, the oath that he gave to Abraham. Here's one of them, uh, Genesis 15. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. That's one of the promises, one of the covenants in the Old Testament. It's interesting, isn't it? Because it's hard for us to picture what the stars would have looked like with all the light pollution that we have but it would have been awe-inspiring. That is the vastness of this promise that is being uh, fulfilled and answered in these words and in the name of Jesus and as he is born. Elsewhere, God promises Abraham that all nations will be blessed through him. But also here there's a sense of Zechariah speaking into the political climate, bringing peace and salvation from the enemies that they were facing. Because they were, they were under uh, rule of enemies at this time. Because there's a sense in scripture, isn't there, of a Messiah who would come and bring freedom from enemies to God's people. And of course the people at the time were thinking in that way. But we know there's so much more than that, isn't there? There's so much more than just a political thing here. There's something really spiritual going on as well. So then Zechariah zooms in to John um, in verses 76 to 80. He says these words, you, my child. Zechariah here speaks prophetically about his son. And he describes his son as the prophet of the Most High. That's not about John, uh, but the one he was pointing to, Jesus. He says he will be before the Lord, preparing the way. That he is the forerunner, which we can think back to Isaiah 40 and think about these words. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. It's a clear sense of the way that Jesus and John are weaved together in this chapter. But what we also see here about John is that he is the one who is like the linchpin between what God has been doing and promising and what is to come. John is the one who will give people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins because of God's mercy. We know that John would go on to go around preaching this and baptizing people. Mercy actually is at the heart of these words, both the first half and the second half. And of course, mercy is at the heart of who God is, seen in how he has acted and how he will act. John will also point to the one who will shine on those living in darkness and death. He will bring peace. And this one John will point to will bring all the opportunity to experience the salvation coming through God's promises. So this prophecy of Zechariah's really is beautiful imagery. And it's from these words that we move into the birth narrative of Jesus, which we'll think about over the coming weeks. 
So a few things for us to reflect on this morning. Firstly, silence. How might you offer God some silence this week? How might you do that and not fill up the silence with something else? Secondly, this passage sits in the context of Scripture as a whole. How might you read God's Word this coming year so that you can see the bigger picture as we zoom in on Luke? Finally, it took Zechariah time to accept what God was saying, but he got there. God kept his promises, and look what happened as a result. Sometimes it takes us time, doesn't it, to take in what God is saying to us? But God is patient. He's far more patient than we are with him. I don't believe the fact that the C of E uses the words of Zechariah in morning prayer are there by accident. So why not read them every day this week as you pray? Join in with uh, Christians all around the world reading these words, reminding yourself of who God is, how he keeps his promises, and who uh, John was as he pointed to the good news of Jesus, the one we celebrate every day, but as we celebrate this Christmas. What I want to do um, as we finish this morning is to give us some time for some silence. I've been talking about it, and I don't want to fill any more silence. So what I want to do is give us a couple of minutes just to be silent. And at the end, I'm going to sing, Be Still and Know That I Am God, just the first verse. Uh, Jonathan's already referred to them, and I'd love you to join in so that I'm not singing a solo. Um, but I'm going to leave us two minutes to listen, to be still. So let's be quiet for a couple of minutes.
Lord God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your promises. We thank you that in this season as we celebrate, we look forward to the day when Jesus um, is born and when he will return. That we know you are a God who keeps your promises. Help us to continue walking with you. Help us to find time to hear your voice, to be still and know that you are God. Amen.